0: Welcome back to 879 Year of Vesuvius, Episode 23, Petronia Justa. We've discussed the financial records of Eucundus that somehow managed to escape immolation in 879. There were other records as well, legal records in this case. 18 wax tablets involving one case, testimony of witnesses regarding patrimony and inheritance and, this being the olden days, a matter of having been born free or born a slave. It's complicated, as matters involving lawyers and the law tend to be. So, the Dramatis Personae are Gaius Petronius Stephanus, a man of substance, if of uncertain background, Calatoria Themis, his wife, Petronia Vitalis, their one-time slave, Elephorus, a freedman who tutored Calatoria famous in her youth, and finally Petronia Eusta, the subject of this lawsuit. The setting, the so-called House of the Bicentenary in Herculaneum, so-called because it was uncovered on the 200th anniversary of the beginning of the excavations. It is widely considered one of the finest houses in Herculaneum, and of Gaius Petronius Stephanus doesn't appear anywhere else in the public record. The building speaks for itself. At times, scholars speak for it, a little bit too imaginatively, perhaps. It's stunning in size and decoration. It has extensive wall paintings. In 1938, a small room on the second floor, a cruciform-shaped indentation in plaster was found. Beneath it, a cabinet and a stool. The Christian mind, or even those raised in Christian surroundings, could not help but see a resemblance to a pre-dieu or altar, as indeed the Italian archaeologist did. A cross must have been embedded in that piece of plaster. Stories of early Roman pagans inspired to become Christian are a staple in the early literature, whether true or not. The Catholic Church to this day considers Vespasian's granddaughter to have been one of the faithful. The cross itself is a little out of the familiar proportion. Specifically, the shortest end, that rising perpendicular to the crossbar, is shorter than in other examples. There is no other indication of adherence to the faith in the house. The cabinet contained not religious paraphernalia, but two lamps, a small wooden cup suitable for shaking dice, and one six-sided die, with one to six dimples gouged out of the cube. Not very Christian. Okay, so if not across, what then? We moved to Bosco Reale, eh? where other archaeologists digging down found hollow spaces near the beginning of the face of an interior wall and projecting outward, They filled the space with plaster and then continued to dig only after the plaster had set. Revealed after the fact was a wooden shelf, its underside supported by a wooden triangle, the pair attached to the wall itself, but if removed, leaving in the wall a cross-shaped indentation. As to Christian crosses in general, consensus is that the cross as symbol of the faith would not enter the record until the next century. Undug evidence could prove this wrong at any time, of course. Elsewhere, there are colored stone mosaics in the floor, geometric, quite striking, far more elegant than the work we discussed last time at the House of Scoutus. This was what serious money could get one, and Herculaneum was a nicer town overall than Pompeii. The paintings... Our pagan stuff in general, dedalus and, and Pasiphae discussing the life-size cow statue into which she proposed to hide herself, she a little taller than he, he arguably looking a bit skeptical, as one can readily imagine. Uh, Google dedalus and cow if you're not familiar with that strange story and its unnatural passions. The house itself, spacious, many rooms, but hints that in later years it was not quite the showcase it had once been. Thinking is that the upper stories were being rented out. And in one of those upper rooms, the one overlooking the entrance, were found the legal documents in the case of Petronia Eusta. Once upon a time... A fair enough opening, since we have no hard dates in this matter, other than that it came to fruition in the 70s. Once upon a time, Petronia Vitalis was the slave of Gaius Petronius Stephanus and Calatoria Themis. In AD 62, Petronia Vitalis Vitalis had a daughter, Petronia Eusta. The father's identity is unrecorded, we deduce only that the child was illegitimate. At some point, Petronia Vitalis was manumitted and, for reasons unknown, departed the household to make her own way in the world, in parts and ways unknown. The girl of Petronia Justa remained behind, her status unrecorded. Let's stop right there for a moment. A few things about this whole affair are eyebrow-raising. The birth year is coincident with the great earthquake, which may or may not have any bearing on the matter. The circumstances, however, are decidedly odd. We have a woman, a slave woman, who is manumitted around the time of giving birth to a girl child. A manumitted, note, not sold. Why? And why was the child, who seems to have been born free, left behind at the house? Was that intended as a short-term thing until the mother could get herself settled? Were there plans in place for the child's future at that time? Or was it assumed that the child would become the wards of Gaius Petronius Stephanus and Calatoria Themis? It's possible. They could have been a childless couple, wanting a child. Would a girl-child of an ex-slave warrant bureaucratic paperwork? there seems no attempt to pretend that eusta was anyone else's child than petronia vitalis's herculaneum being the small town that it is that kind of subterfuge would never have worked anyway time passed and one day telephorus well known to the household for having been the tutor to calatoria themis appeared on the doorstep petronia vitalis had done well as a freedwoman and wished to have her daughter restored to her it did not happen. Petronia Vitalis went to law. The case was settled with Petronia Eusta allowed to return to her mother, but only on the payment of a certain sum by Petronia Vitalis to Gaius Petronius Stephanus for the expenses of raising the young Petronia Eusta. Perhaps to the surprise of Gaius Petronius Stephanus and Calatoria Themis, Petronia Vitalis had the cash on hand. Ended it over, closed the case. Was the mother and child reunion a happy event? Was Petronia Eusta distressed or relieved to be out of the stephanus slash Themis household? Were Gaius Petronius Stephanus and Callatoria Themis happier with the money settlement than with the prospect of the child remaining with them? We have no idea. Did the matter end there? Of course not, this is a soap opera. Of course, the matter did not end there. Time kept on passing, and Gaius Petronius Stephanus and Petronia Vitalis died in their turn. Calatoria Themis now brought a suit against Petronia Eusta, or rather against the estate of Petronia Vitalis, claiming that on further inspection, it seemed that Petronia Eusta had in fact been born before the mother of Petronia Vitalis had been manumitted, and therefore under law Petronia Eusta had never ceased being a slave. And not only that, but as the heir to the estate of the mother, Petronia Vitalis, Petronia Eusta must hand over the goods to her rightful master, or, in this case, mistress, Galatoria Themis. Not very nice for Petronia Eusta, and she or her mouthpiece went right to work. Under the circumstances, chances were good that the records for the mother's manumission had gone missing if they had ever been recorded at all. Women and second-class citizens and all that. Petronia Eusta was forced to seek out witnesses old enough and connected enough to attest to the time of her birth relative to the time of her mother's manumission. She found at least five. Calatoria Thamus, by contrast, found two to testify to the opposite. Witnesses' testimony submitted to the court, five claiming Petronia Eusta was born after her mother's manumission, making Petronia Eusta an ingenua. Two claimed that she had been born before Petronia Vitalis's freedom, making Petronia Eusta a slave. Sounds like a slam dunk, but lawyers have their livings to make, so... The magistrates, for whatever reason, passed the buck, sent the case to Rome for adjudication. Much a case of she said, she said. Then a surprise witness, the aging Telephorus, the intermediary between Gaius Petronius Stephanus and Petronia Vitalis, when the latter came to reclaim her daughter, stepped forward to confirm... Petronia Eusta as free-born. And, as with Jarndyce v. Jarndyce in Dickens's bleak house, the case seems to have dragged on for years. Recall that Petronia Eusta was born about AD 62, and Petronia Vitalis died in the mid-70s. So we have a girl no older than early adolescence at best. What adult, if any, was looking after interests? Perhaps Telephorus was lending a hand. Who was her lawyer? Or was she managing this on her own? What were the circumstances of the different individuals? We can only speculate. And the circumstances allow the imagination to range widely. Consider the setting. Sumptuous in its day, but by 79 that day had gone. The documents were found in a room overlooking the entrance of the house. The lower stories of the house, when excavated, were not filled, as one might expect, with lavish home goods suitable to a house of that size for people of considerable wealth. The suggestion goes that the owner had fallen on hard times. Imagine some once rich people, unable to raise money by any other means, the owner began to eat into principle. First, to go were the excess slaves sold off one by one, then the artwork, and then the furnishings, and when that proved not enough, the humiliation of renting out the now empty upper rooms to boarders. Which raises the question who was living in that front room and why? Galatoria Thamus, the widow, cheap and mercenary, is one obvious candidate. It would make sense. A widow in declining circumstances knew that the newly orphaned Petronia Justa had some wherewithal. She plots her move. She invites the young orphan over first for a meal and suggests that she might be willing to underwrite some current expenses for old time's sake, Petronia Eusta having been such a favorite in the household. One could see how that approach would die a morning. Drop the honey, pick up the stick. In desperation, drop the honey, pick up the stick. And so, in desperation, a lawsuit, a long shot, but then one that would be just as damaging to the young woman, regardless of outcome, as it would be to Galatoria Themis. This presupposes that Galatoria Themis owned and was living in that house, and that the documents were hers. Possibly the owner was someone else entirely and was renting that particular room out to Petronia Eusta, who had her own problems with legal bills. Or, if the mother had been truly successful, the house could have been hers outright, and now belonged to the daughter. We are talking a time when freedmen and bold entrepreneurs post-earthquake were willing to gamble on the return of real estate value, and in the case of a freedwoman, possibly none too concerned with Overly fine living, as with a reasonable sense of security. Then there is the question of who was Petronia Eustace's father. If Gaius Petronius Stephanus, that would open an entirely new can of worms. There is no claim to that end, but you can't help wondering. It mattered not so much that Callatoria Themis needed an extra pair of unpaid hands to do whatever needed done in her life, there is the matter of inheritance, not just the mother's, but that of Gaius Petronius Stephanus himself, Petronius Eustace's possible father, her presumably well off father, who may or may not have disinherited his daughter, either because doing so was necessary, or because it slipped his mind, or he liked to make trouble, or his will was never enrolled or survived. The possible soap opera possibilities are just sitting there. Gaius Petronius Stephanus, the fond father, promising to take care of his daughter by the ex-slave, who now is heading out to make her mark as a freedwoman, woman, makes one narrative. Was she a frequent guest back at the house to see the family and her daughter? What kind of life did she find outside the household? In any event, you can see how the narrative of this particular case can go in any number of Roshamon paths and, regrettably, we do not have a resolution to the case. The last dates were in the mid-70s, but that's not to say that the case was finalized or that there weren't other documents that have not survived but show a vindication for Petronia Vitalis or a gross miscarriage of justice in favor of Galatoria Thamus. Suborned perjury or honest belief the testimony appears to have weighed more in Petronia Eustace's favor than not, but it does raise interesting questions of how records were kept. Next time, another death, another inheritance, decidedly more consequential than today's squalid affair. Until then, thank you for listening.